First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you so that I may share with you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you, or rather, so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want, to know, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence, my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you who are in Rome. Father, we thank you for this morning and this time to be together as brothers and sisters. We pray a blessing on this time, Lord, and we ask that our hearts and minds are open to your spirit, and may your spirit come inside and continue to transform us more into your image. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Paul in Romans 1.16 says this, and this is a text I know many of us memorize and recognize, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we're going to get to that statement next week, which some call his thesis statement. But today... Paul writes in our text, First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I want you to hear that statement. For all of you. It's quite a statement. It's quite a statement then, and it's quite a statement now when we think of everyone who's in the room. I mean, look around, and there is some in here who you might not like. There's some in here who uh, you might not talk to that much. And, and here, there's some in here who, who you might not really recognize if you look across the room. And even as you look around the room, there are people in here who do not think like you. Who do not talk like you. And yes, who might not even vote like you. There is a plethora of differing opinions in this room, if we really think about it. And there might even be some who who you just don't agree with. And yet, Paul, in our beginning text, with thanksgiving, tells us today that he is thankful for all of you. And not only that, he's thankful for all of those who he's writing this letter to in the Roman community. And there is a lot going on in the Roman community. There's a lot going on in this letter that Paul is writing. And on one hand, Paul is writing to a community with real problems. And we have to remember this with every letter. There are real people trying to figure out what it means to be Christ followers in their time and place. What does it mean to be a Christ follower in the first century? And it's not like all the communities of the first century had a deep well to pull from so they could understand what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, this gospel and this teachings of Jesus were a radical thing. They were radical in nature. And these people were being called to both live individually, but also communally in a different way. And it was all kind of brand new to them. On the second hand, The work by Paul in the letter of Romans has been and is one of the most influential letters written in the New Testament. It has caused the conversion of many. 
It has caused new movements to be born. And it has caused difficult questions to be asked of the church. Throughout history, the letter of Romans has provoked the church to look at itself and its mission in profound new ways. Romans rearranged Martin Luther's theological furniture, is what he would say. And it caused many a new theological thought in our century. As one writer exclaimed, the reader and commenter ought therefore to approach the document that we read, Romans, with a mixture of anticipation and trepidation. We approach Romans with anticipation for what God would speak to us in this moment. We approach Romans with some trepidation because we're not quite sure what God's going to speak to us in the moment. We don't have it all figured out. And so we're coming and approaching this book with that idea. So a little background for Romans. The letter of Romans was written to a community, to this Roman community at a crossroads. Around 49 AD, somewhere in there, there's this guy named Claudius, the emperor Claudius. Uh, He declared an edict that expelled all Jews from the city. Uh, It seems that Claudius was tired of the Jewish debate over the possible identity of the Jewish Messiah. There was this massive debate going on about Jesus, but just about the Messiah. And there was, I mean, we've read Acts. There was a lot of conflict going on. Well, Claudius was just tired of it. So what did Claudius do? He just kicked out the Jews. He kicked out the Jews from Rome. And therefore, most Jews, whether they were following Jesus or not, were most likely expelled from the city for about five years. About 54, 55 AD is when Claudius died. At that point, the edict was lifted. And this, as you can imagine, created a kind of void of leadership within the church in Rome. Because remember, if Jews were kicked out, it didn't matter if you were a a, a Jew that did believe that Jesus was the Messiah, or it didn't matter if you were a Jew who did believe that Jesus was the Messiah. If you were a Jew, a family of a, a Jewish family, you were kicked out of Rome, which would then mean that if this community of faith that was started in Rome had been built around Jews and Gentiles, if the Jewish Christians were kicked out, there was a void of leadership, and you know who took in, who, who kind of filled that void? Gentiles. So Gentiles began to fill this void. So when the Jewish brothers and sisters returned to the city in somewhere around 54 or 55 AD, the church community looked completely different than it did five years earlier. Leadership was different. Language was different. Faces were different. I mean, how they did the budget was different. Everything, I mean, where they put the money was all different. And so one can imagine a type of superiority complex in the personality of the Jewish believers. While Jewish brothers and sisters had felt ostracized, remember, they're the ones who were kicked out. They were the ones who were minimalized, kicked out of the group. There's a new kind of belief that's bubbled to the surface. And so beliefs have probably changed. How they did things probably changed over five years. Beliefs beliefs different than what the Jewish contingent was used to. You can almost hear the Jewish brothers and sisters walking into the church seeing what's going on. You can almost hear them say, this is not how we used to do it. And I'm sure none of you have ever said that at church. This is not how we used to do it. This is not my community. I remember when we did it this way. Again, I'm not pointing fingers and saying y'all have ever done that. But you can hear 
those kind of whispers, can't you? You can hear uh, Sunday afternoon at the Golden Corral in Rome, sitting around after going to the buffet and saying, can you believe that person up there? Can you believe they sang that song? We haven't sang. That must be one of those newfangled songs. Probably a devotional song. A teenager probably came up with it or something. But that's what's going on here. There's this kind of thing happening. And so Paul writes this letter, and Paul writes a systematic approach to God's grace, as we'll read, through Christ for both Jews and Gentiles. And in doing, he is addressing the situation at hand. It also gives us insight into Paul's presentation of the gospel because Paul in this writes his own gospel. Romans is kind of considered Paul's gospel. It is in many ways what he's trying to do, a journey into Paul's journey from the Damascus road until now. And it leads us into this moment. Everything Paul's taken in. It's like in Romans, Paul's fleshing all of this out of what God was up to in, in this very beginning and what God is doing with both Jew and Gentile. What God is up to in the life of all creation from the beginning of time when sin entered the world, as we'll read later on in Romans 1. And as we go past in Romans 3, 4, and 5, why the world needed Jesus. It's God's grace at work is what Paul say. And it's almost as if he's speaking to both groups, trying to get them to come together again. To say you have a, you, someone who unites you and doesn't divide you. And it's this person in Jesus and you need him. Paul writes about God's intentional move towards us. God's work, not ours. God's grace, not ours. And in this move by God, we find ourselves, and what Paul will say is we find our meaning, we find our purpose, we find our being. Paul's letter then has, like all of his other letters, and this has taken me a long time to understand reading Paul. You and I have had these conversations numerous times about Paul, how much I dislike some of his writing, how much I struggle with some of his writing. There have been times in my office in which I found myself yelling at Paul. I'm just yelling at my Bible because of what Paul is saying. And it took me a long time to realize, but Romans is the same thing. Like all of his letters, it has a pastoral leaning to it. In the book of Romans, Paul's doing something. He's bringing two groups back together in this. He's uniting them once again. Paul's writing is intentional in that it moves us toward an intentional way of living in Christ when we get to Romans 12 and 13. And as Michael Gorman states, he says this, it narrates the saving grace of God toward sinful humanity, both Jews and Gentiles, that creates in Christ a multicultural, cruciform community of obedient faith issuing in generous love and expectant hope. And so Paul, in the opening of his letter, knowing the differences sitting in the community, does three things at the outset. And you know, this is kind of new for me because I don't normally do three things. But he does three things. He does this. He thanks them for who they are, both in reputation and faith in verse 8. Second, in verse 9, he prays for them consistently, constantly, and without ceasing. And in verse 10, he says this, I look forward to spending time with you. He looks forward to a visit down the road. And so if you're going to start anywhere with the letter of Romans, especially a letter that when we dive into it has some deep theological and social implications of our life in Christ, then what better way to start than by having them look around the room? 
Just look around the room. Yes, Paul is thankful for all of them. Paul is praying for all of them. And get this in verse 12. Paul needs all of their encouragement. It's an intentional move by the apostle, and don't let that word pass you by. Don't let when I say the word apostle pass you by, because apostle is a weighty word. Heck, when we talk about Paul, Paul is a weighty word. A lot of times we speak about the Bible, we talk more about Paul than Jesus. What did Paul say? He wrote a lot of the letters. There is a reverence to the name and title of Paul, and yet Paul moves them, Paul moves to them not from on high. He moves alongside of them. He is with them in the struggle for the gospel message. All of them, all of them, all the ones he is thankful for sitting in the room are needed in this mission and no one can be left outside. All of their gifts are needed and to be witnessed. God needs everyone. God has a plan for everyone in the community that bears his name. There are no spectators or bystanders in the plan. God is working out what he's doing through the faithful. And maybe that is what Paul is trying to do at the beginning of this letter as he looks out and sees a group that's trying to figure themselves out after being, after being away for so long. As Paul looks out in this room and tries to figure out, how do I bring them together to understand what God is doing? How do I begin to have them see each other through God's plan and not their own? How do I get them to see each other through God's grace and work and not their own work? Because let's be honest, it's easier to look through our own eyes and our own standards, who is valuable and who is not. It's easier to look around the room and make our own determinations about who God can use and who God can't. And it's even easier because we are our own worst enemies. Who in here sometimes has gone through the idea that God can't use me? If you knew the situation I came out of, if you knew my life history, if you knew my shame that I carry, there's no way God can use me. God might be able to use so-and-so and so-and-so because, you know, they're better than me. But God can't use me. If you really knew my story, it just it gets hard. I was talking to a friend the other day about, you know, marriages. And it's funny how we have this kind of idea in our head about who has the perfect marriage and who doesn't and whose marriage is better and whose marriage isn't and you know it'll be like well you and Laurie are so great and I'm like yeah except for yesterday <laughs> I mean come on amen right it was going great until yesterday right and then we all of a sudden think because of that like our marriage is terrible. No, it's not. It went out of valley. It happens, right? I did something stupid. It happens. But we do that to ourselves. It can be easier to point fingers and say God can't use them, but it's even easier to look at ourselves in a dark room and say, you don't know my story. You don't know. God can't use me. God can do nothing with me. God can use Paul, but not me. And yet here is Paul, the apostle, saying he needs the Romans as much as they need him. He needs their prayers as much as they need him praying for them. He needs their encouragement 
and spiritual gifts to strengthen him as much as he can strengthen them. Paul says, I am thankful for all of you. He didn't leave anybody out. He didn't say, I am thankful for most of you. Remember, words matter. Most would mean something. No, he said, I am thankful for all of you. I am thankful for all of your encouragement. I am thankful for who you are, where you came from, and where God has placed you now because I believe that God has a purpose for you and he's going to outline that purpose. They need each other. I can't say this enough as I read these first few verses in Romans. Paul is telling them, you need each other more than you can possibly imagine. You need the person next to you to encourage you as much as you need to encourage them. We need one another. I need you as much as you need me. It's a radical thought in a world that is highly individualized and hypersensitive to differences. One of sin's greatest powers, as we're going to read in the last part of chapter 1, one of sin's greatest powers is to get us to break apart, to move into our own separate enclaves away from one another. Sin attempts to get us not to pray for one another, only to pray for certain people. Sin again uh, attempts, us, attempts to get us to not encourage one another, only certain people. It, it attempts to not get us to need one another. Sin attempts to trap us in our own echo chamber where we hear only the things we want to hear, only the things we want to believe. Sin attempts to move us away from the denseness and richness of a community, and that's what it is as I began with. Look around the room. There are a lot of people different than you sitting here. The denseness and richness of a community with so many, and instead sin causes us to point fingers at each other. It causes us to separate. It causes us to say, my church is better than your church. Which, by the way, some, some, the theologian history, history people would say is after this that you had a Roman Jewish church and a Roman Gentile church, and hey, we're the churches of Christ. We understand this. We're pretty good at pointing fingers at others, and that they were pointing fingers at one another. We're doing it this way. I'm doing it this way. Sin causes us to divide and point fingers. And so Paul begins the letter with an ask of us, an ask towards an intentionality. He intentionally and always thanks God for everyone in the community. And that's a big community when you think about Paul. That's a big community that Paul's participated with. Paul prays for and Paul desires to be with. So I wonder today, are we being intentional in praying for and thanking God for everyone in this room? When you look around the room today, are you praying for everyone in this room constantly without ceasing? Are you thanking God for everyone in this room constantly and without ceasing? Are you actively encouraging one another today? How do you find your words when you speak to the others in this room today? Do you find them words of encouragement? Do you find them words that uplift and build up? When you look around the room today, where do you find your thoughts going toward? Is it this, I thank God for these people? Or is it only about 10 more minutes and I get to go to Golden Corral? If the gospel is anything, it's a reminder that each of us needs God's grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We're all in need of God's grace actively working in and through our life. And we are all in need of each other through this journey because we participate in this grace together. The grace isn't just for me. And it's not just for you. But it's for the person sitting next to you. It's for the person sitting over here with a life story that you don't quite know, but it's a little bit dark. It's for the person sitting over here who's kind of second-guessing themselves. 
It's not just for you, but we participate in this grace together. God's intentionality towards us should be imitated through our intentionality towards one another. That's the beginning of the letter, and that's for us in this new year. As we meditate on how God desires for us to be more intentional in our actions towards ourselves and one another, Paul's going to lay out just how God was intentional towards us, how God came to us. It wasn't us who did it. It was God who came to us. God made the first move towards us. When we were lost in our own devices, in our own ways, God still comes toward us through Jesus. This is the gospel, and we're to embody this in the gospel. So let us be intentional in our prayer life to one another, praying for one another without ceasing. Let us be intentional, intentional in our encouragement to one another, giving a good word to each other. When we do this, we embody the gospel message we'll read about. We encourage one another to go out and be gospel to the, word this, to the world this week. And that, in a brief nutshell, is Romans. The God of the universe was intentional in showing us a new way through Christ and His grace that we may do the same for others. So therefore, we can say, I thank God for all of you. It's, a different, it's kind of a different statement than the world who says, I thank God for some of you. But today I thank God for all of you because we participate in this grace of God together. And I need you more than you know it. If you have any needs this morning, we'll have elders up front, I'll be up front. Come now as we stand and as we sit.